Hello, friends, and thanks for joining me on another episode of the Money Girl Podcast, where my mission is to help you live rich and love the journey. My name is Laura Adams. I'm a personal finance expert and award-winning author based in Austin, Texas. Less than two weeks ago, Hurricane Harvey caused unprecedented damage to much of the Texas coast and the Houston area after days of relentless rain, wind, and storm surges. The damages are estimated to cost over $160 billion. That's more than Hurricanes Sandy and Katrina and will likely take years to rebuild. Here in Austin, we were on the fringes of the storm, but still got lots of rain, flash flooding, and winds. So we got off pretty light here. But my friends in Houston are having a pretty tough time. I know many of you who are listening are in the middle of recovering right now. So this show is dedicated to you. And even if you don't live in a typical hurricane path, every area is prone to potential natural disasters like tornadoes, earthquakes, wildfires, flash floods, and winter storms that could turn your life and finances upside down. So it's important to prepare now and know what steps to take in the aftermath of a disaster. In this podcast, you'll learn how to be properly insured, get a fair claim settlement, apply for federal assistance, work with contractors, and avoid insurance scams. I'll cover tips to prepare for and deal with any type of natural disaster so you're in the best position to save yourself and your finances. And if you're dealing with Harvey right now, you'll definitely get some tips in this show to help you navigate the process. I'm going to mention lots of resources, which you'll find on the show notes on the Money Girl section at quickanddirtytips.com. This is episode number 512 called Natural Disaster Survival, How to Save Yourself and Your Finances. Being prepared is definitely the best way to protect your family, your property, and your finances from any type of emergency or natural disaster. While certain emergencies come with a little notice, like a hurricane, although folks in Houston didn't get a whole lot of notice with this one, Other types of disasters may be completely unexpected, such as an earthquake or a tornado. When I lived out in the Bay Area, we had a couple little earthquakes, and you definitely have no idea that those are coming. The folks in the Midwest are struck by tornadoes all the time that just come out of nowhere when they have a little bit of a rainstorm. So you never really know for sure what's coming. All you can do is be as prepared as possible. During a natural disaster, You could be in a variety of situations. You could be at work, separated from your family, you know, away from home on vacation, or be without water or electricity for an extended period of time. So by taking a few steps now, you won't be caught completely off guard in an emergency, and you can manage your household's unique situation the best way possible. So no matter what type of natural disaster you might face where you live, follow these five tips to be prepared and stay safe. The first tip is have adequate insurance. You've got to know what types of insurances are out there and the amounts that are right for you. Now, just about every homeowner has home insurance because mortgage lenders require it. A basic homeowner's policy pays for claims when a natural disaster like a fire, tornado, hail, or windstorm damages your property. And your possessions like furnishings, clothes, electronics, and jewelry 
are generally covered up to certain limits, and that's for damage from disasters or from theft. There's also a liability portion that protects you if someone gets hurt while they're on your property or if you accidentally hurt someone anywhere in the world. Home insurance also pays what are called additional living expenses that you'll see sometimes as ALE. And those might include a hotel and meals if you can't stay in your home due to a covered disaster. Now, if you're a renter, you also need insurance because your landlord is not required to cover you. So renters, I really want you to pay attention here. Renters insurance gives the same protections as homeowners. It gives you coverage for your personal belongings, liability, and those additional living expenses, which can be key after a disaster. But renters insurance doesn't cover the actual structure of your dwelling because that's owned by your landlord and your landlord has the responsibility to insure the structure. So you're really just concerned with what's inside that structure, your personal belongings, your liability, and those additional living expenses, which can really save you if you've got to move out after a disaster. Problem is, six out of 10 renters don't have renter's insurance. A typical renter's policy probably costs a whole lot less than you might think. It's just $188 per year on average across the United States. That's really inexpensive peace of mind. So if you are renting right now and you don't have renter's insurance, I want you to put getting a policy on the top of your priority list. And no matter if you own or rent, it's important to know that expensive items typically have coverage caps. For instance, you might only get $2,000 for special categories like jewelry, computers, silverware, and collectibles. So if you've got items worth more than the coverage caps, it doesn't cost much more to add a rider that increases the limit so that your most valuable possessions could be replaced. For instance, let's say you've got an engagement ring that costs $10,000, but your renter's insurance only gives you $2,000 of coverage. You could put a rider on that policy that makes sure that you've got $10,000 of jewelry coverage at a minimum, so that if you look down and the diamond in your ring is gone or you lose it at the beach or it's stolen, you could replace that ring. Otherwise, if you've got a policy with just the regular automatic coverage, all you're going to get is $2,000 minus your deductible if your ring were to go missing. Also note that certain types of disasters such as hurricanes, earthquakes, and hailstorms may come with special percentage deductibles depending on where you live. These are additional and separate deductibles from all other types of claims, such as fire or theft. For instance, you might have a separate 3% hurricane deductible that applies whenever you have damage from an officially named hurricane. If your home were insured for $200,000, you'd be responsible for the first $6,000. That's times 3% in repair costs. And that's much more expensive, obviously, than paying a standard $500 or $1,000 deductible. In some states, a hurricane deductible applies only when a Category 1 storm causes damage, whether it made landfall or not. Other states allow Category 2 to be the threshold. And in other states, a hurricane deductible applies from the moment a hurricane watch or warning is issued until 72 hours after it ends. 
It can only be applied once during each hurricane season, which is from June to November. So as you can see, there's a lot to know about insurance, and the fine print will certainly vary depending on where you live. Okay, tip number two, know if you need flood insurance. Another issue that really trips people up about home insurance is that floods are not covered. I want to repeat that because I really want to make it sink in. Floods are not covered. That's for a regular home insurance policy or a renter's insurance policy. Unfortunately, most victims of Hurricane Harvey don't have flood insurance. This is a huge problem because neither homeowners, renters, or business insurance covers any type of damage from groundwater. Flooding is the nation's most common and expensive disaster. Floods don't even have to be catastrophic to cause major damage, and they can happen anywhere. Just a few inches of water in an average home can be enough to cause over $10,000 of damage. According to FEMA, which stands for the Federal Emergency Management Agency, More than 20% of flood claims come from properties outside of high-risk flood zones. And 98% of counties in the United States have had a flooding event. Flood insurance is a separate policy that anyone can buy to protect their property if your community participates in the National Flood Insurance Program. And you can find that out when you talk to an insurance agent or company. Even though flood insurance is backed by the federal government, it's brokered by regular insurance companies or agents. So even though it's technically sold by and administered by the federal government, you're going to buy it from a regular insurance company. So have a conversation with your insurer about what types of insurance you need and do your homework by getting a flood insurance quote. Don't just assume that it's unaffordable. You know, it could be extremely affordable, especially if you're not in a flood zone. Most flood policies have a 30-day waiting period, so you can't just wait until a storm is bearing down on you because it'll be too late. And also note that you don't get flood insurance for vehicles. If you have comprehensive coverage on your car, motorcycle, or RV, any flood damage will be covered. Mortgage lenders certainly require you to have flood insurance if you buy a home in a designated flood zone, and that covers you from flooding whether or not damage occurs as part of a larger event, like a hurricane that may be declared a disaster by the federal government. Remember that water damage from the sky, damage from rain, high winds, or a tree that fell on your roof are covered by a standard home or renter's insurance policy. But damage to your home or personal belongings that occur due to rising groundwater is never covered. That's what is defined a flood. So that's never covered except when you have flood insurance. If you're not covered, and your area qualifies for disaster assistance. It may come in different forms. Most assistance is not a gift, and this takes a lot of people by surprise. It's actually a low-interest loan that comes from the federal government that's got to be paid back. Now, in some cases, FEMA does offer disaster grants to communities and residents that don't need to be repaid, and this will be the case in the Houston area. However, the amount you receive could be insignificant compared to what it costs to recover. Assistance amounts always depend on the severity of a disaster and survivor needs. Help from FEMA doesn't take the place of home, renters, business, or flood insurance. 
nor is it meant to restore your property or belongings to their original condition before the disaster. And to qualify for assistance, you may be required to buy and keep flood insurance for a certain amount of time. FEMA cannot duplicate any benefits that you already get from an insurer, but it gives assistance to help those who are displaced find a temporary place to live and get back on your feet. You can apply for disaster aid at disasterassistance.gov. And you can also contact the Red Cross if you're not insured and need financial help. You can use FEMA tools to see your state's flood history and compare the amounts of flood insurance payouts to the amounts paid for federal disaster aid. For instance, from 1996 to 2016, in Texas, average flood insurance claim payouts were just over $40,000, while free assistance to eligible households and individuals who were uninsured was just over $7,000 on average. So it's easy to see that having flood insurance provides much more help when you need it. You can check out the FEMA Map Service Center to see if your property is in a flood zone using their interactive online maps. And of course, I'll have links to all these resources that I'm mentioning on the Money Girl section at quickanddirtytips.com. And before I move away from home insurance and flood insurance, I want to point out a few other podcasts that may be of interest if you want to learn more about insurance. Uh, The most recent is podcast number 503 called What Insurance College Kids Need and Tips to Save. Podcast number 473 is 10 Facts You Should Know About Home Insurance. Podcast 452 is Three Facts About Usage-Based Car Insurance That Can Save Money. And podcast 446 is 10 Financial Products to Make Money and Create Security. And a couple of those products in that show are about insurance. Okay, the third tip to stay safe in a natural disaster is create a home inventory. One task that's often very difficult for disaster victims is listing all their damaged possessions on a claim form. Imagine you returned home and found everything you own destroyed by a fire or tornado. Would you be able to list each personal belonging you lost and its value? That sounds like a daunting task for anyone, especially someone who just became the victim of a natural disaster. Make it easy on yourself by creating a room-by-room inventory now. Not only will that help you get a potential claim settled faster, but you'll know how much insurance you need to purchase in the first place. Start by listing the most expensive items in each room, such as appliances, electronics, computers, and jewelry. Gather up any original sales receipts or appraisals to help you estimate value. And if you don't have a receipt, make a note of where you bought an item and any serial or model number. For clothes and housewares, simply count the items you own by category, such as three coats, 15 shoes, and 10 play settings of China. If you own a lot of stuff and have never created an inventory, don't let the task overwhelm you. Just get started with one room and make a goal to complete an additional room each week until you're done. Use a smartphone or video camera to capture each room of your home by walking around and opening every closet, cabinet, jewelry box, and drawer to get well-lit video of every item you own. Keep your inventory, receipts, and appraisals in at least two different places, such as a bank safe deposit box, a flash drive, and in the cloud. 
Google Docs and free storage sites like Dropbox are great places to keep copies of all your important documents, such as birth certificates, marriage certificates, social security cards, titles, deeds, proof of vaccinations for pets, passports, and any irreplaceable family photos. Tip number four, create an emergency kit. Another key task to staying safe in any disaster is to have an emergency kit or a go bag. There are many lists of items for an emergency kit that you can find online, and I'll put a link in the show notes. What you need depends on the type of emergency you might have where you live. I won't attempt to create a complete list here for every type of disaster, but here are some critical supplies that are likely to apply to everyone, no matter the potential disaster. You should have a radio flashlight, extra batteries, a first aid kit, water, non-perishable food, pet food, medications, a change of clothes, some cash, and copies of your critical documents. Buy a big backpack and put as many of these items in it as possible. Keep the backpack where you could quickly grab it, such as under your bed or in a coat closet near your front door. And if you live in a multi-story home, keep a fire ladder upstairs so you could make a safe window escape. Okay, back to our tips to stay safe. We've covered having adequate insurance, having flood insurance, creating a home inventory, creating an emergency kit. Now, let's talk about having an emergency plan. Make sure that your family knows where your go bag your fire ladder and fire extinguishers are stored and how to use all of your emergency supplies. It's great to have all this gear, but it won't help you if no one is really prepared to use it. Together, create a plan to follow in the event of any disaster. Ideally, you should have a family member or friend who lives outside of your area to be the designated emergency contact. Share all ways to connect, including phone, email, Facebook, and Twitter. Decide what your escape plan would be such as a meeting place you could walk or drive to, depending on the type of disaster. For instance, if you have a house fire, you could meet up at a neighbor's home. Or if there's a widespread disaster, consider a destination farther away. Find out where the public shelters in your area are and what rules are enforced, such as accepting pets. Also, know what to do when evacuating your home before a storm, such as turning off your water, gas, and power. If you know a major disaster is headed your way, such as a hurricane that's projected to make landfall where you live, you can register for help with FEMA ahead of time. I mentioned disasterassistance.gov. You can go there and let them know that you're in the path of a serious storm. Once disaster strikes, don't waste any time reporting it to your insurance company or agent. Even if you can't get back to your home, your business, or your vehicle to see the damage, you can still file a claim. You want to be at the top of the list for your insurer to set an adjuster's inspection, claim processing, and payment. If you need financial help for out-of-pocket temporary repairs or living expenses while your place is uninhabitable, ask about getting an advance insurance payment. As I mentioned, most home and renter's insurance policies pay some amount of living expenses, such as hotel and meals, if you can't live in your home due to cover damages. Find out the types and amounts of costs that are covered and be sure to keep all your receipts. Once you do see your damaged property, 
Take pictures and video if possible. If your street number isn't visible, be sure to post a sign with your address and the name of your insurance company where it can be seen. It's best not to throw away any damaged items until an adjuster has seen them. However, insurers do want you to make temporary repairs to prevent any further damage, like covering broken windows to keep rain out if possible. Again, save all your receipts. You can begin reaching out to contractors so they can be at your property when an adjuster inspects the damage and creates your loss statement. But don't make permanent repairs or sign any agreements with contractors until you get the green light from your insurance company. Once your insurer agrees to pay your claim, they must send your payment within five business days. However, after a major disaster, insurers may be authorized to extend this deadline by a couple of weeks, which is actually the case for Hurricane Harvey. Depending on your insurer and the amount of your claim, it may be settled with two checks. The first is issued after the adjuster estimates your repairs, less depreciation, and less your deductible. And the second payment is issued for the balance of your claim after the contractor's final bill is received. But what if you disagree with an insurance settlement? If you don't agree with the insurer's loss estimate, be sure to discuss it with your insurer. It's possible that he or she missed something. If not, you can hire a third party for help such as an appraiser or a public adjuster. A public adjuster charges fees, such as 10% of your settlement, to help negotiate claims and handle the repair process on your behalf. He or she works for you, not the insurance company. So you are going to give up some of your settlement, but they could be a really big help. And if you're still not satisfied with the outcome of your insurance settlement, you have the right to sue an insurer in court or use an alternative dispute method, such as mediation. If you believe that you've been treated unfairly, you can file a complaint with your state's Department of Insurance. Unfortunately, what we often see after a disaster is an influx of criminals and greedy storm chasers who take advantage of disaster victims when they're most vulnerable because they know there's high demand for construction work. Don't fall for various types of fraud, such as price gouging, shoddy construction repairs, and people who might disappear with your money. If you ever feel pressured or threatened by a contractor, report them to the police. To avoid insurance scams, make sure contractors have insurance, such as general liability, and proper registration for their trade. For instance, in Texas, specialty contractors, such as electricians and plumbers, must be licensed to legally work in the state. You can call or go online to your state's Department of Licensing to see if a company is legitimate or has any complaints on file. Always get written estimates from several contractors and check their references. Make sure the estimate includes site cleanup, trash removal, a starting date, and an estimated completion date. It's not unusual for a contractor to ask for a partial payment to begin work, but pay as little upfront as possible, such as 10 or 15% of the job estimate. Some contractors may ask you to sign an assignment of benefits, which allows them to get paid directly from your insurance company. Although it's common in trades like water extraction, roofing, and plumbing, it can easily be abused with overbilling. 
So I don't recommend signing your insurance settlement over to a contractor. Don't sign an assignment of benefits. Instead, stay in control of the funds and make a final payment only when the work is completed to your satisfaction. Finally, ask the contractor to provide lien releases or partial lien releases from any subcontractors as a condition to receive payment. That ensures they can't put a lien on your property if any problems arise. I know we've covered a lot in this podcast. I wanted to make sure that you've got the tools to really stay in control and protect yourself in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey or any other type of disaster that you may find yourself in. Each week, I send out a free, short email filled with tips, tools, and recommendations that I think you might enjoy. To get it, all you have to do is text me the phrase, get updates, with no space. Text get updates to the number 33444. And by the way, if you have a money question or a topic suggestion, I'd love to hear it. There's several ways to reach me. One is my contact page at lauradadams.com. Or once you get my weekly emails, you can just hit reply to those updates. If you're enjoying the show, let me know by subscribing for free and taking a minute to submit a quick five-star review on iTunes. I read every one. They really mean a lot to me. If you've already submitted a review and a rating, I want to thank you. And if you haven't, please just give it a couple of minutes. It means a lot to me to get your feedback. To keep the money conversation going with a terrific community, you can also join my private Facebook group called Dominate Your Dollars. All you have to do is text me the word dollars, D-O-L-L-A-R-S, to that same number, 33444. I hope to see you in the group. That's all for now. I'll talk to you next week, courtesy of Money Girl, your guide to a richer life. (laughs) 